does it get any better than Chicago food? From longtime favorites to newly opened locations, Italian beef joints to pizza places, burritos to sushi, Chicago's very own eats celebrates a wide range of food and restaurants in the greater Chicagoland area. Hosts Kevin Powell and Michael Piff welcome you into their daily food talk in the WGN Radio break room as they discuss their latest foodie adventures, their top five lists, the latest social media arguments, interviews with chefs, and conversations with local celebs about their favorite places to eat. This is Chicago's Very Own Eats. Episode 8 of Chicago's Very Own Eats. We're cranking these out. I'm Kevin Powell alongside Mike Piff. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing good. I'm in dire need of a vacation. I'm glad we're both getting one this weekend. (laughs) I'll recap my Las Vegas trip, but uh, we've got a few uh, spots lined up, and there's been a lot of hype around. Have you heard of Egg Slut? No, but I'm more intrigued now. Yeah, it's an egg sandwich sandwich uh, a shop out in Las Vegas. So I'm going to hit that up. But we'll, uh, I'll cover the Las Vegas trip. And where are you headed again? I'm heading to Clearwater area nice. with, uh, with with my wife's family. Every year they go. It's this area called Indian Shores, and I'm just so excited to wake up on a beach. How much shrimp are you going to eat, Mike? All of it. <laughs> All right, coming up on this episode, we're going to talk about. Uh, Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats, we kind of touched on it last episode, but there's been more and more stories coming out from restaurants about how basically they're being um, unfairly taken, I guess is one way you can put that. Yeah, I think think the thing is, it's not really a partnership. Like, even though your restaurant's listed on these third-party apps... Uh, the restaurants are not benefiting as much as they should. So we're going to get into that with uh, Scott Weiner from our friends over at Fifty Fifty. We went to the Fifty uh, Fifty uh, Wing Spot, and I think that was our first episode we did. Yeah, and the wings are incredible. Anyways, we'll talk to Scott and get into all of that about you know recommendations if you are ordering food, what should you be doing, and then how like moving forward. What's the fix for restaurants? So we'll dive into that with Scott. Mike, uh, let me ask you: Are you a fast food eater? Uh, yes. As much as I don't want to admit it, I I do love me some fast food, and uh, you know uh, I'm never above a dollar menu. What's your go to if you could have one fast food meal? What would it be? Oh, one fast food meal. I love the double quarter pounder with cheese at McDonald's. Give me also a uh, a ten piece nugget with that. And if, we're talking about the bigger ones, right? Yeah, this it's like is, the big dogs. Your yeah. Burger King, McDonald's, Taco Bell, Wendy's. Stuff. Otherwise, like that. you know, I I am never above a good Culver's Butter Burger. Oh, those are always great. Would yeah. you consider Portillo's to be fast food? I didn't used to, but now as the place has gotten bigger and expanded so much, I mean, yeah. Now it is, I think. But I don't think the food quality has dropped whatsoever, even no. with all the expansions, which is great. Because when we heard, you know, Portillo's bought and all that, and they're going to keep expanding, the first fear all of us have, mm-hmm. as Chicagoans, is like, don't mess with Portillo's. Yeah. I actually have a challenge we should do with Portillo's. You know how they have the wall of pictures yeah. of people's signatures? I think we should start, like, reaching out to every person on that wall <laughs> and, and tell make their that, story yeah make that kind of like, like our, our target list of of trying to complete this big like project of interviewing everyone that's on that wall and that's like from sean hayes 
You know the Belushi is on there. I think Bob Surratt might, be, might have a yes. picture in approximately 75% of all Portillo's. Yeah, Bob and Marianne are on there. <laughs> I know for sure he's in a Park Ridge one, right, where you pick up your food. That would be a good segment, Portillo's Photos Stories, and people can talk about how they got their pictures up on the wall. I don't necessarily consider it fast food just because I think it's like higher level. Like I wouldn't put it on par. You it's do better. Get, it's much better. So Yes. Um, anyways, the reason I bring this up is fast food prices hit highest 12-month increase in 41 years. Mike. Oof. You know, and I've kind of felt this with my, I'm a Starbucks goer very regularly. I use the app. I get a lot of gift cards there, but man, my cold brew is getting more and more expensive by the week. Um, I hadn't noticed that. I don't go to the coffee shops much. I just make it at home and here at the radio station. But uh, cost of fast food is going up just like everything, Mike, although I don't think fast food uh, will be hit as hard. But you know, typically uh, the dollar menu, like in high school and in college, when you're like that was the best. You yes, can go to Wendy's was. and get a junior bacon cheeseburger, a double stack, a chicken nugget, and a, and a French fry for like five dollars. Oh my gosh! Um, Taco ta- Bell up that. I, I too. don't. I used to eat a ton of fast food. I don't anymore. I maybe get Taco Bell twice a year. If I'm getting fast food, it's typically like a McDonald's egg McMuffin and a coffee. Something good like call. That. But good call. The cheesy gritty to crunch at Taco Bell is my number one fast food item in the game, Mike. Ooh. I can eat... I, I absolutely love cheese goodie to crunches. <laughs> my, uh, my friend Thor is uh, someone that I go to every time there's a new Taco Bell food item because he's tried it. He's my go-to reviewer of all Taco Bell <laughs> well, items. Well, and did you see the big news? Taco Bell is bringing back the Mexican pizza. I know, and I've never had it before. I don't think I've had the Mexican pizza since, like, <laughs> high school. Um, it tastes nothing like pizza. It's just some sort of Taco Bell creation. But for whatever reason, I saw that story, and I'm just like, man, I need Taco Bell. I need to relive the high school fast food days and, and, and get me some Taco Bell. Also, we'd be remiss being a food podcast if we didn't uh, mention the sad news of the passing of Bob Chin. Bob Chin's Crab House, a staple in Wheeling, an institution since 1982. Bob Chin died at the age of 99. I'm sure uh, many listening have the Mai Tai Bob Chin's plastic cups somewhere in their home, stacks of them somewhere, using them for various different reasons. I ended up, uh, when we got this unfortunate news last week, I was inspired to make Mai Tais, so I went home and made Mai Tais. It's certainly not the the official Bob Chin Mai Tai recipe, but... um, Quality inspiration, though. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Very sad news about the uh, Bob Chin's passing. uh, uh, Just a legendary spot. It kind of sparked that whole people refer to as as Restaurant Row up in Wheeling. Now you have like a Cooper's Hawk, uh, Italian spots up there. very sad news. Did, have you been to Bob Chin's? Yeah, yeah. As as someone who grew up in the Northwest suburbs, Bob Chin's was legendary. Yeah, you go on Milwaukee Route Twenty One, go down there, and I yes had quite a few of the Mai Tais. Even uh, Wrigley Field for a time would serve the Bob Chin's Mai Tais. I, I remember that. I remember that. that. I think yeah. there's a there's a Twitter account. It's like Mai Tai something, and it's like the guy <laughs> used to just crush Mai Tais in the bleachers. Yeah, um, just down the road from the old Cubby Bear. If you yes, remember that place, absolutely. It was the uh, at at a time. I don't know. You know, now over the past couple of years, Bob Chin's was the top grossing independent restaurant uh, in the nation, which is incredible. Wow. Of all places to drop a seafood spot. Wheeling, Illinois, is where Bob Chin decided to put his spot, and it uh, it was a hit. It still is a huge hit. I remember, you know, driving past it so many times, and you would see a, see a line out the door, um, despite it being such a large restaurant. So and warranted, and warranted, a legendary man, legendary restaurant. Bob Chin, rest in peace. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, what else do we want to get into? Well, here, it's going to hit 80 degrees this weekend. It is. And while it may not last that long, coming soon, it's a sign of the times, which is patio season in Chicago. Which is why we suffer through the miserable weather. Patios open up. It's like a party for three or four months here in Chicago. And you appreciate appreciate it way more. And as someone who lives downtown, Kevin, yeah. where are some of your favorite spots for patios? And I think we need to dis- distinguish between patios and rooftops. I think rooftops can be a totally different episode. Okay. But think like about... The, yeah, I mean, like the London House rooftop is incredible. Right. That's like Michigan and, and Wacker there. The views are incredible. You're going to pay a lot for a drink. It's not exactly like your neighborhood spot. A lot of Instagramming happening on that on that rooftop. But it is awesome, and it's one of the best views in, in all of Chicago. Uh, Piccolo Sogno, uh, the Italian restaurant, Tony Priolo, the owner who, by the way, is doing big things. He and many other chefs went to Poland. Wow. I don't know if you saw this story. I'm going to try to get Tony on the, on the podcast. And they were putting together food packages and resources for refugees. So anyways, uh, Piccolo Sonia, some of the best Italian. It's one of my favorite Italian spots in Chicago. And it'd be tough to argue against their patio in the summer. It's a great atmosphere. It's large. You, you go out there and it's it's like a party, but it's a great spot to, to get a meal in the summer. Um Great ambiance, everything you're looking for in a great patio. But when when we when you mentioned let's talk a little patio, that was the first one that came to mind for me. I think that's a great one. I've actually I threw that question out on Twitter and that got several responses. Did so we get a lot a, of responses? We got a few responses, but you know, I'll I'll get to those later. Uh downtown I love I, I mean, I love the Riverwalk. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things about the city. And when you take people you know, from out of town there, go to that city winery patio yeah. right on the river with the boats coming up. That's a perfect spot. Park and Field, I've mentioned before when we were talking about kind of those favorite uh, sports t- sports bars slash appetizer type places. They've got bocce ball outside. Nice. They've got little fire pits all over, lawn chairs, you name it. You don't realize that you're in Logan Square when you're at Park and Field. Um, the Gibson's Patio is pretty sweet. I'm a big fan of that. I think something that happened with the with uh, the pandemic was people had to get very creative with their seating, and I thought Gibson's nailed it with their outdoor seating. That whole air, that kind of corridor over there, yeah, was a great spot. Triangle, yeah. It, um, yeah. I didn't think Gibson's because typically they just have a little bit of seating around it, but yeah, during the pandemic they closed down that whole corner there mm-hmm. and it was it was great in the summer like it was packed and all the restaurants you've got tavern there and all, all bunch of a whole bunch of restaurants so um i'm glad you mentioned the riverwalk which i think um i don't think people realize like how awesome it is now it's know? amazing like they went through the whole renovation and they kept talking about bringing more restaurants and bars and they have yes like if you start here which uh i'm pointing here at 303 wacker just north out of our studio here um so I guess this would be Columbus and and Wacker. On the Riverwalk, there's like a tiki bar. Yep. And that's the first bar is on the eastern part of the Riverwalk. And you could kind of just bar hop your way and keep moving oh, west. Yeah. And I've done it in the summer. You should make it a day. It, it totally is awesome. And I don't think like, you know, maybe just because the Riverwalk, uh, you know, back in the day wasn't what it is now. But if you haven't experienced the new Riverwalk, I highly recommend it. It's yeah. a great day to just like – 
bounce around. You bar hop the Riverwalk. It's great. Then you just sit right there on the on the river, and it's 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 a fun day. Nothing beats being by the water either. It's true. Now suburbs. Do you have a few spots out out in Northwest Burbs or anywhere that you love to go to? Because I've got a few favorites. Yeah, you go first. So in Lake Zurich, where I'm from, Belo's uh, Steakhouse in Lake Zurich has changed the game for patios. It is like. Think about retractable roof stadiums. It's that for a patio. It's good all year round. They do actually open up their doors like you're outside. The The actual roof does retract and everything. Perfect spot there. Um, Tudo Bene and Glen Ellen. Awesome little Italian spot on the corner uh, in Crescent and off their main street. Uh, if you love good Italian, they make very affordable, good Italian food there. Uh, and Ike Oak Brewery in Woodridge, amazing place. Uh, and I think, I feel like Lisa, Lisa Dent would know this place. Bien Trucha in Geneva is probably the premier taco place out west in your okay. west burbs. I've, I've mentioned some of the places that they, uh, that they have around the whole western burb area. If you see something that's part of Bien Trucha group, you're going to have good tacos and a good patio experience. And then lastly, Speaking of river walks, the Naperville River Walk, highly underrated, 64 wine bar on there. You got to do it this summer. Club Lucky, I'll mention that too. Out yeah. in Wicker Park, I had a summer dinner there with some buddies, and we sat on the patio, and it was a great experience. I'm super pumped for the patios to be opening. Um, I'm glad we got some of those out there. Let's get to our conversation with Scott Weiner. We mentioned it at the start. Let's talk about Grubhub and DoorDash and Uber Eats, which I know many use. But we wanted to kind of like, you know, get the lowdown exactly. Like, what should we be doing? What should restaurants be doing? And how should you be ordering your food? On the podcast is Scott Weiner. He's with the 5050 Restaurant Group. Scott, I appreciate you jumping on Chicago's very own eats. Thank you. I appreciate being here. All right. Uh, the reason we want to talk to you has been there's there's been a lot of conversation lately about food delivery apps, which became obviously very popular during the pandemic and restaurants partnering with them. But it's gotten to a point where it's eating too much into revenue and profits for restaurants where it's uh, it's 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 what is it not worth it? I mean, I guess explain what exactly restaurants are dealing with when it does come to these third party apps. Sure. You know, I mean, the best thing that happened to the third-party apps was the pandemic uh, because essentially restaurants were able to put up with them before because, you know, maybe it was 10%, maybe it was 25 30% of, you know, your restaurant's uh, business pre-pandemic. But when nobody was able to dine in a restaurant, everyone really was able at that point saw just as just how much it affected, just how much you depended on them. And then also learned a lot how, you know, as the restaurant, they really started taking away your your own customer base. So, you know, it, it, it's tough for a lot of restaurants, especially the ones that are mainly carryout. And everyone's a lot more carryout than they've ever been. But they can eat up, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30% of your profits or 30% of your revenue. Um, and that's a lot. That's a lot. You know, typically they say 5% should be spent on marketing. Um, and there's not a lot of margins in restaurants in general. So when you're giving away 15 to 30% of 
the entire ticket, typically you're going to lose money from that transaction. So so how exactly does the agreement work between restaurants and these third-party apps when they did start becoming more popular? They just come to each individual restaurant and say, hey, do you want to partner with us? We charge X amount. And then how how were they able to charge or take more than that than maybe what was originally agreed upon when it first started? Sure. Well, there was, you know, for some people, there was hidden fees. Or a lot of people just didn't know what they were signing. Um, the mom and pops, in a lot of respect, really got taken advantage of. And, you know, then you find out all of a sudden that you're on this app and nobody's actually nobody's actually finding you on the app. So not only do you not have a way to actually get the customer, but then you find out you need to advertise even more above that just to get a click. So it was a lot of things like that where most restaurateurs aren't tech, you know, tech wizards, uh, don't always, unfortunately, read the fine print. And uh, it, it caught a lot of them. Um, and just to be clear, like, I think that there is, there is definitely room for the third-party apps. Like, they do bring a service. I just think that they need more. There should be more of a level playing field. They should have to follow a lot of the same laws and rules that, you know, restaurant tour does um, from labor to insurance uh, to just transparency to the restaurant and to the customer. So that's really what my main concerns are. Yeah, Scott, I've heard you on a couple of our WGN radio shows on Chicago's Afternoon News, as well as John Hansen's show, uh, talking about the uh, ghost kitchens that are another issue with the third-party apps. Could you kind of explain to our listeners a little bit more about ghost kitchens and and kind of ways to that you can either, one, uh, identify them, and two, maybe just avoid them completely? It's hard to avoid them, quite frankly, because yeah. they do such a good job of sort of blending in. And, and once again, I don't have a problem per se with ghost kitchens. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that they just need to have a level playing field with the rest of us. You know, yeah. you shouldn't be able to open a ghost kitchen in a manufacturing district, um, you know, or there should be just, if you're going to have somebody going through that, they need to be insured the same way. If people are using the common way or the public way, the same as a restaurant, then why don't they have to have a permit for that and ensure their people the same way? Um, but typically the best way to spot if you're ordering from a ghost kitchen is to see if you can pick up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you might find that uh, Red Robin offers 10 different restaurants. You know what? I don't have too much of a problem with that because at the end of the day, Red Robin is paying a lease there. Maybe it's in a strip mall or wherever it is, but they're, they're in a place known to be a restaurant. But if you find yourself, you know, kind of venturing off into some weird place that you've never seen a single restaurant before, chances are it's a ghost kitchen. And what I'll tell you is there is collaboration between the third parties and the ghost kitchens. Uh-huh. And as, as a consumer, you should also be aware, you know, that whatever you order from these restaurants, from these third parties, if you order from a third party, assume somebody knows what you're ordering. And I don't mean assume the restaurant. I mean, assume at some point that data is going to get shared with your insurance company. You may find that your health insurance, your life insurance is going up if they see you ordering too much fried chicken. And while that seems extreme, that's not a joke. If you order direct from a restaurant, you know, we're not sharing your data. We're just trying to make, you know, make ends meet for the most part. But when I say the collusion, well, guess what? Roots handmade pizza. They, 
the algorithms in these third party, they want to maximize their revenue. So when Roots goes from 45 to 60 to 90 minutes, they start saying, that's not efficient for us. We're going to stop showing Roots on our app. And we're going to start showing somebody else. Who are we going to show? Whoever's paying us the highest fee. Oftentimes, those are the ghost kitchens. Those are the cloud kitchens because they don't have the same overhead that a typical restaurant, a local restaurant does. To even go further than that, when I say your data is getting shared, well, they know what people order from my restaurants and when and how often. So if, you know, Frank is ordering mozzarella sticks from me once every two weeks, and I go from 45 minutes, now I'm at 90 minutes for a delivery. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not paying as high as a fee of this cloud kitchen. Well, guess what? The guy who sells mozzarella sticks out of this cloud kitchen or who's paying a higher fee to them is all of a sudden going to show up. So they're actually hurting a lot of businesses and ultimately they're just trying to maximize their, their spend or maximize your spend and their fees from whoever's paying them the most. It's a great business model. It's just not fair to a lot of the restaurants that really didn't know what they're getting into when they signed up. Scott, what exactly is a ghost kitchen? Like, how would you describe those? Well, that's also one of the issues where our city, our state, and federal just way behind, you know, because nobody really knows how to describe a ghost kitchen. Um, a ghost kitchen could mean some restaurant with just decides they want to have a separate meal, you know, they're serving Italian, they're an Italian restaurant and they want to have a French menu out of the same kitchen and call it Pierre's. That is a ghost kitchen in some respects. Normal restaurant doing everything the same way. Other people refer to a ghost kitchen as a sort of warehouse, if you will, like food court, food hall, but customers can't come into it. It's more or less just sort of like a assembly line of different vendors and delivery drivers just come in and pick things up. Um, and other people describe a ghost kitchen as a bunch of food trucks parked on a parking garage down in the loop, uh, with a similar thing. So there really is no, there really is no set definition. And that's part of the problem. That's how a lot of these third parties sort of scoop by the system or, um, you know, get, get around certain laws that ever, that a typical restaurant has to abide by. All right, Scott, before we let you go, what would your message be to, uh, customers when it does come to delivery and ordering and, and dealing with all of this. And again, I, I and we've talked, Mike and I have talked with it, there's value in the third-party apps and it does create jobs for some to, to make some money delivering food and all that. It just has to be reasonable. When it does come to the whole delivery process, you know, I like to just go and pick up the food myself or try to do, uh, order delivery direct from a restaurant. But what would you say to, to customers when it does come to all this? Well, no matter what, if you are going to do delivery, tip your driver um, because these drivers, believe it or not, are almost all independent contractors if you're ordering through these third parties, which means that they're not guaranteed minimum wage over time. They don't get overtime. They're basically being taken advantage of by these third parties. So if you are going to go delivery, take care of the driver because a lot of these guys are, are really, you know, to use lack of a better word, being screwed. Um, but obviously, of course, we prefer you just order direct from us. You know, companies like mine, which we are fortunate, we have our own drivers, employees with benefits, we pay mileage, all those things, right? Um, but every time you decide to use that app to place an order from a restaurant that you love, uh, 
you know, typically they're paying 20 to 30%. There are ways where if you go off of their website and then go online, you may save them some money. So if you are, if they have no other way and you don't want to call, that's the way to do it. Go at least go to their website. He's Scott Weiner with the 5050 Restaurant Group. Uh, Scott, I tried 5050 Wings for the first time last month. Mike yeah, was did. all about it. We went out to the restaurant and they were fantastic. We made him a believer. It was awesome. <laughs> it was great. For, 14 years, 14 years, and that's what's keeping us going. Those wings are uh, also the reason no one's accused me of being a skinny man for quite some time. <laughs> you know, that and the Quad City style pizza at Roots, man. You guys, you guys nail it. I appreciate that. Scott, thanks. I appreciate it. it. Yeah, th- Scott, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Uh, we'll be in touch. Big uh, Check out uh, the 5050 Restaurant Group. A lot of good stuff happening there. He's Scott Weiner with the 5050 Restaurant Group. Thanks a bunch, Scott. Appreciate your time. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. And that was Episode 8 of Chicago's Very Own Eats. For Mike Piff, I'm Kevin Powell. Thanks again to Scott Weiner from the 5050 Restaurant Group. And thank you for listening. This is Chicago's Very Own Eats.